Maine is known for its rocky coastline, beautiful forests, and brutal winters. It's the home of Stephen King, Alan's Coffee Brandy, and the best lobster. To the people who come from away, it's a vacation. But to those of us who live here, it's the way life should be. Welcome to Vacationland. My name is AJ, and I will be your guide through the history and mysteries of Maine. It's a Halloween doubleheader this week. Trigger warnings for this episode include brief mentions of suicide attempts and animal death. Rockland, Maine is a small harbor town. It's about an hour and a half down the coast from where I grew up in the Bangor area. If you've heard of it, it's probably because they host the Maine Lobster Festival every summer. But in the 1940s, it was used as a training ground for the U.S. Navy and Coast Guard. With this influx in the population, crime rose. But it was largely made up of intoxication crimes. So when a murder occurred, it shocked the small town to its core. In the week leading up to Halloween, 16-year-old Alzada Pauline Young had been staying with a friend. There was trouble at home, and it had started when her mother Thelma married John Phelps, who was 20 years her senior. Pauline and her younger sister Evangeline, aged 13, were from a previous marriage, and Thelma would go on to have two more children with John, Rachel, age 11, and Bernard, age 9. The younger children were playing out in the dooryard when Pauline returned home on Halloween. Evangeline was boarding at the Pownell State School, an institution for children with disabilities or behavioral issues. Pauline planned to stay only briefly. Like every teenager, she had wanted to go out with friends. But John objected. An argument ensued, and it was so loud that the neighbors could hear it. John locked every door in the house to prevent Pauline from leaving. He had planned to keep her there until her mother got home from her job at the almshouse. The argument would end with a very sudden thud. Thelma arrived home later to ask her husband where Pauline was, to which he said that he didn't know. Pauline had run out the back door and had probably gone to a friend's house. Not unusual, Pauline often stayed with friends, but Thelma still told the city marshal, Mr. Fish, to pick her wayward daughter up and bring her home if he saw her. Over the course of the week following Halloween, no one had seen or heard from Pauline. John would ask one of his neighbors, Mrs. Rich, if she noticed a strange smell coming from the piazza. She hadn't. Soon the police became involved. They searched the home, including the cellar. John offered them the use of his shovel and pickaxe, which was strange and the police made note of it. Pauline was just missing, but soon, the neighbors would note, a strange smell had started to come from the piazza. On November 9th, John Phelps was found at about 2 in the morning not far from the Rockland police station. He had attempted suicide and was bleeding profusely. Police took him to the Knox County Hospital, where Phelps finally admitted to killing his stepdaughter. He claimed Pauline had come at him, and he defended himself. Quote, she cursed and came at me with a butcher knife. I threw a hammer at her and it struck her on the forehead. 
I turned her over and she was not breathing. And I knew she was dead. I didn't know what to do with the body, but finally removed the head with an axe and a knife. The body I dragged down the cellar stairs, and wrapping it in burlap bags, put it out through the cellar window under the piazza. End quote. And that's partly true. He did put some of Pauline into burlap bags. Her shoulder was in one bag, her lower legs in another, a thigh in her torso, arm and chest, and in the last bag, the other thigh. And those were the parts the police would discover buried under the piazza and the chicken coop following John Phelps' confession. But where was the girl's head? John Phelps would lead police to the wharf and point to the water. That's where I threw it, down there. Over the course of days, the harbor would be dragged, divers called in and sent down into the brisk water of the Atlantic. They would find a head, but it belonged to a doll. Police finally surmised that it had sunk to the soft bottom or it had drifted away. Phelps was arraigned. He pled not guilty. The following week, Thelma announced she was retiring to Danforth, Maine, with the two youngest children. John would later plead guilty to murder, among other charges. He would spend the next 30 years in prison until he was released to a nursing home on parole to live out the rest of his life. The town was never quite the same after Pauline's gruesome death. The missing had added to the mystery. In Homefront on Penobscot Bay, Theodore W. Sylvester Jr. recollects, there was a lot of speculation and stories going around. The one that impressed us the most was that the Phelps home was forever haunted, and that the head was buried under the porch. It was literally years before any of us would walk past the house day or night. Sometimes we would race past the house on our bicycles, but that was the extent of our courage. The Phelps home has since been torn down and rebuilt. Pauline's head is still missing, but her ghost lives on in Rockland. from Rockland to Winthrop 76 years later. Andrea Balser, just a few weeks shy of her 18th birthday, calls 911 at 1.45 a.m. She tells dispatch her parents, Alice and Antonio Balser, and the family dog, Lily, are dead. Andrea can be heard in the 911 call saying, she went to hug me and I just put my knife in her back. She goes on to tell the dispatcher that her father, hearing her mother's screams, had come running and she stabbed the fuck out of him before laughing. Andrea had not wanted to hurt Lily, but the little chihuahua wouldn't stop barking. The knife would be found stuck in the floorboards next to her father. Andrea surrendered peacefully to police that Halloween morning and reportedly did not appear upset about her parents' deaths. She had let her older brother Christopher escape, claiming it wasn't his time and asked police to check on him. There was no question as to who the killer was, but why the young woman had stabbed her parents remained a mystery. Andrea was a good student with no prior record of violence, but she struggled socially. When asked why she had done it, Andrea said she didn't know. She had just snapped. Between the 911 call and the taped interview with the police, the events of that morning began to take shape. Andrea had planned the murders in her room. She then went to the kitchen where she grabbed a knife she used for hunting 
and went into her parents' room. Her mother woke up when Andrea came in and walked her daughter back to her room. Alice attempted to console Andrea with a hug, and that's when the chaos began. With her mother lying on the bedroom floor, Andrea chased her father down the hall to the dining room, where he had apparently attempted to retrieve his handgun. Alice would suffer nine stab wounds, Antonio, 13. Committing the murder so close to her 18th birthday, the court determined that Andrea Balser would be tried as an adult. Over a year later, on December 22, 2017, Andrea Balser was charged with two counts of knowing or intentional murder and one count of aggravated cruelty to animals. She would initially plead not guilty. In sessions with court psychologist Dr. Deborah Bader, the first seedlings of a reason began to emerge. Andrea revealed to the doctor that she was deeply depressed and struggling with her gender identity, and she felt her parents were not supportive of her transition from male to female. Antonio Balser, according to his daughter, had reportedly made derogatory comments about a transgender person, which led Andrea to believe her father would become physical with her if he knew about her true identity. Dr. Bader would testify that Andrea suppressed her emotions, had made several suicide attempts, and harbored some homicidal inclinations towards her parents. Andrea confessed to the doctor, I was an embarrassment. I shouldn't have been alive. She would also later allege that her mother had been sexually abusive towards her. Family and friends disputed these claims. Andrea's uncle, Carl Pierce, stated that the suggestion that gender identity, abuse, or lack of support played a role in the murders was an insult to the family, society, and the LGBTQ community. Pierce would go on to say that he had spoken with Antonio about Andrea's struggle. Quote, There was no hatred. There was no malice. There was no ill will. There was resignation, to be sure. But ultimately, there was acceptance. To justify these killings because of sexual identity or gender dysphoria beliefs is truly a cowardly act. Andrea should be ashamed of herself for it. Unquote. Andrea's brother, Christopher, stated that the claims were flimsy. He was unaware of any gender identity crisis or depression that his sister may have been experiencing, but assumed that if Andrea was going through those things, their parents would have rallied to her side. Ultimately, Andrea would plead guilty to the murder of her parents. During sentencing, Justice Daniel Billings would take into account Andrea Balser's age her grades, her lack of criminal history, and her willingness to accept responsibility for the murders when he sentenced her to 40 years in prison on December 4th, 2018. The judge would refuse to take Andrea's struggle with her gender identity into account in his decision, stating that many transgender people struggle with acceptance, but this cannot be used as a justification for willfully taking another person's life. During the sentencing hearing, Andrea would ask for only one thing. Quote, I do not speak today to beg for lenience or to try to save myself from due punishment. I'm here only to ask for one thing, the forgiveness of my family. Though no one may believe me, I am truly sorry for what I have done. I killed my parents and I know that no amount of repenting will ever bring me true forgiveness for that. Unquote. Christopher asked the judge to impose the maximum sentence. In my view, all leniency does is put a remorseless murderer back on the street. Andrea hoped her brother would deal with his demons and forgive her.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Vacation Land. I hope you enjoyed your visit. If you would like to learn more, you can check out the sources listed at pinetreepodcast.com and click on Vacation Land at the top of the page. Music is by Lurker. Check out more of his work at lurker.soundcloud.com and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at vacationlandpod.